Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of the China Project. On this week's episode, roughly two dozen countries have put entry curbs on travelers from China amid its ongoing COVID wave. Pfizer's COVID drug is to be excluded from China's medical subsidy program. Alibaba signs a deal with the Hangzhou government, and TikTok gets a series of warnings from EU officials. With these stories and more, let's jump right in. At least 21 countries have placed entry curbs on travelers from China after the country resumed regular cross-border travel on January 8th. China's reversal of zero COVID has led to an unprecedented wave of infections, and this is spooking authorities elsewhere. These countries include India, Japan, and South Korea in Asia, Italy, France, Sweden, and the UK in Europe, as well as Canada and the US in North America. The travel curbs include asking travelers from China to take a COVID test before departure or on arrival and quarantining those who test positive. Several countries imposing the rules said they were concerned about potential new variants in China and the lack of transparency in China's official data which has become difficult to track following December's end of mandatory mass testing and changes to the criteria for what counts as a COVID death. In response, the Chinese embassies in Tokyo and Seoul have suspended issuing some visas for both countries. This is the first time Beijing has retaliated against these travel restrictions, some of which have been in place since late December. Meanwhile, countries like Poland, Greece, New Zealand, Thailand, and Singapore are keeping their doors wide open to travelers from China. Prior to the pandemic, Chinese travelers were a major source of tourism revenue around the world, making 155 million outbound trips in 2019, according to government data. Pfizer's breakthrough COVID drug will be excluded from China's medical subsidy program this year after pricing talks broke down earlier this month. The National Healthcare Security Administration, which oversees the program, 
said negotiations failed due to the high bulk price that Pfizer quoted for the combination antiviral. Paxlovid was one of three COVID treatments on the agenda as part of closely watched annual talks between representatives of Chinese and international drug makers and government health officials to determine which drugs will be covered by the programs. Pharmaceutical insiders who spoke to Caixin said they were not surprised by the breakdown in talks. They said there are few business reasons for Pfizer to lower its prices, with a competitive advantage and little domestic competition from generic alternatives, demand is soaring amid a spike in COVID cases. Right now, Paxlovid will be subsidized until the end of March under China's emergency COVID management rules. Moving on to the latest with China's tech giants, Alibaba has signed a deal with the government of Hangzhou, the eastern city where the e-commerce giant is headquartered. Under the strategic cooperation, the two parties will work on scientific development, make contributions to the digital economy and common prosperity, and collaborate on organizing the Asian Games, which will be held in Hangzhou in September. Liu Jie, the Communist Party chief of Hangzhou, said on Tuesday that the city government would unswervingly support Alibaba's development to become a leader of innovative development and a model of regulated development. The deal with the Hangzhou government was announced days after Alibaba-linked Ant Group said founder Jack Ma would cede control of the company. It also followed comments from Central Bank Communist Party chief Guo Shuqing that rectification work of the 14 online platform companies, which include Ant, was basically complete. Li Hejun, the billionaire founder of troubled solar energy firm Hanergy, was detained by police in northeast China's Liaoning province, multiple sources told Caixin. Li was the former chairman of Hanergy Holding Group and was once China's richest man. He was taken away by police in Jinzhou on December 17th to assist investigators and had not yet returned as of January 10th, according to several Hanergy employees. It is unclear why Li was detained. The 55-year-old founded Hanergy in 1989 as a hydropower producer and shifted its business focus to thin-film solar modules in 2009. The company expanded quickly to cover the entire industrial chain, including manufacturing and solar park deployment. With a fast-expanding business, the company's Hong Kong-listed shares skyrocketed tenfold between 2013 and early 2015, putting Li on top of a list of China's wealthiest people. However, concerns over Hanergy's debt overhang and unusual stock movements triggered a massive sell-off in May 2015, which slashed nearly half of the company's market value within the first 70 minutes of trading and wiped out about $14 billion of Li's personal fortune. In June 2019, Hanergy was officially delisted from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange after four years of trading suspension. The company's financial troubles escalated in the following years, including failing to pay hundreds of millions of yuan in salaries to its employees and a crisis at its biggest financing source, the Bank of Jinzhou. European regulators are on to the world's most popular short video app. 
TikTok, which is developed by tech giant ByteDance and currently facing calls for a ban in the U.S., was handed a series of compliance warnings by European Union commissioners. TikTok CEO Shouzhou was told by the bloc's top policymakers to make improvements in areas such as privacy and user data to regain the trust of Europeans. TikTok has faced intense scrutiny in Europe over concerns that children's data isn't safe on the social media platform. It's also being probed for possible data protection violations based on concerns that EU user data could be accessed by, quote, maintenance and AI engineers in China. Now, let's move on to one southern city's latest move to boost its falling birth rate. Shenzhen is planning to roll out newborn subsidies to encourage families to have more kids. These proposed cash handouts, which would be up to $5,550 for a three-child family, are the latest attempts by China's local authorities to boost low birth rates. The country's marriage rates have been falling while its population ages, rapidly shrinking the country's labor force. These demographic challenges could have a far-reaching impact on the economy. China abolished its one-child policy in 2015 and allowed families to have up to two children. Then, in May 2021, the country announced a three-child limit. But despite a range of supportive measures, birth rates have remained low. For Shenzhen specifically, its population stood at 19.6 million as of 2021, according to official data, making it one of the most populous Chinese cities. But its birth rate fell for four years in a row from 2017. And before turning to Yu Kunzhong for a deep dive, let's wrap up the episode with a bit of showbiz news. Malaysian Chinese actress Michelle Yeoh won her first Golden Globe Award for her performance in the sci-fi comedy Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. In the movie, Yeo plays the role of Evelyn Chen Wang, a middle-aged immigrant mother trying to navigate the multiverse. Yeo, who turned 60 last year, first rose to fame in Hong Kong for her roles in action movies. She later gained international recognition for her Hollywood debut, the James Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies, and Ang Lee's Oscar-winning drama Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. More recently, she appeared in Crazy Rich Asians and the Marvel movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Hopefully, this puts the Asian star on the path for her first Oscar. Now let's welcome Zhang Yukun back to the show. Hello, Yukun. Great to see you again. Hello, Kaiser. It's great to be back. So we're here today to talk about a piece that you did a while back about how dozens of small and mid-sized private equity firms got defrauded, basically taken by con men, by con artists. So what's going on there? So what happened was a number of these private fund management companies, or PFM companies, which include private equity shops, have come forward to say that they've been scammed out of salary payments, sometimes close to 1 million yuan, or around 147,000 US dollars, by people they hired to sell fund products. So before we move forward with the juicy bits of the story, could you tell us what these PFM companies actually do? Unlike mutual fund firms who sell funds to the public, PFM companies can only sell privately offered fund products to a limited number of eligible investors, typically rich individuals. 
and they can't publicly promote or market the products according to regulations. So, well-connected sales team is the key to success, especially for small and mid-sized PFM companies who try to compete with well-established peers for clients. And that's what the scammers take advantage of. So, how exactly do these scammers operate? The trick sounds simple. The scammers target small and mid-sized PFM firms that are seeking salespeople and talk up their experience and client connections to get hired. After that. These new hires will receive base salaries, but never make any sales. Industry insiders say that base salaries at these firms could go up to 10,000 yuan per month, which is around 1,500 US dollars. In one case, an entrepreneur surnamed Yu set out to build a sales team in Shanghai in December 2020. However, the ten new hires were regularly absent from work and failed to seal any deals. Worse still, they worked together to create a false pretense of progress. Oh wow! And there's more. Some scammers even had people play potential clients and spent the company's budgets on sending gifts to these fake customers. Many companies later found out that some scammers had introduced the same person as a potential client to different firms. Even when the scammers got customers to sign contracts, no funds were received, as the scammers would make up all kinds of excuses to delay payments. The scammers also typically work for more than one company simultaneously, so they would be receiving payments from multiple employers. One source at a startup fund firm said that he was able to identify one scammer that had been employed by almost every firm in his industry and had been involved in labor arbitrations with multiple firms in the span of three years. Oh my goodness! And these firms never found out about it, I suppose, until it's too late. That's right. In another case, it took the victim five months to figure out that he had been swindled. Some sources said that they were understanding in the beginning because it's normal for a new salesperson to have no sales in the first months in the job. While the startup source said he believed the scammers when they blamed the pandemic and the poor economy for their lack of sales. So, can you tell me more about how these scammers even got their jobs in the first place? So, based on what the victims told us. These con artists had a way with their words during job interviews. One source said they also fabricated stellar performance records from previous jobs and promised to raise several million yuan per month for his firm. They were basically dream candidates because many of them didn't negotiate salaries and were eager to sign job contracts. And from the firm's point of view, they were anxious to build a sales team as quickly as possible and to save money. Many smaller firms don't perform background checks on job seekers, because a thorough check could cost more than one thousand yuan and take around a week. So, did these companies that were victimized up take any specific action? They did. A number of these companies came together and shared their experiences, and they identified hundreds of such scammers who had stayed on the payroll of at least two firms simultaneously just to earn base salaries. Many of the schemers are men aged between 28 and 35 with work experience in financial firms. There are also married couples and older people who apply for senior positions. Many of them are active in Beijing and Shanghai and go after small and mid-sized firms. So I hope these PE firms were able to recover some of their losses. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, not all of them could. A firm owner said when he reported the scam to the police, the police said it was a civil dispute and refused to open the case. Meanwhile, firms tend to lose in labor arbitrations, industry insiders said. 
So these firms have decided to take matters into their own hands by compiling a blacklist of scammer employees to alert fellow firms. The list contained names, locations, firms, the people worked for, and reasons for being listed. But compiling and sharing such a list could have adverse legal ramifications. If the information collected is provided by the employees themselves, such as in resumes, then the collection is lawful. But spreading personal information, even in private, could infringe upon privacy and be treated as a civil offense. That's according to a Shanghai lawyer. Well, thanks so much for that. Very, very interesting. And I hope to see you again soon. Thank you for having me today. You bet. See you next time. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and by Kelsey Chung, Li Jinbing, and Bertrand Tio at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and Strangers in China. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from the China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>